Good morning, Springdale. Hey, stay up here a minute, Kyle. Did y'all know that Kyle is one of our own? This is straight out of Harbor Meadows right here. Hey, Kyle started with us as an intern last year and has come on our worship team staff. I just want to say you're doing a great job, and we're proud of you. Go cats, go dogs. Go cats. Hey, we are continuing this morning in our year-long series entitled Clarity. And the goal this year in 2020 is for each of us individually and in our small group settings to see Jesus clearly, to develop a greater love for Jesus, a greater intimacy with Jesus. And clarity is designed to uh, deliver that in, in three ways. And one is clarity is a devotional guide. And so if you've picked up a Clarity book or you're, if you're going to clarity2020.org, there's seven devotions provided for you each week. The first one is the sermon passage. And by the way, the other six is a sequential reading plan that's designed to take you through the whole New Testament and the book of Psalms and Proverbs in this year. Now, Amy came to me in about week two and said, I just can't figure out how all these passages relate to the theme. Did anybody else experience that? Did you quit? Because some people quit at that point. Um, no, it's just a Bible reading plan designed to take you through the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And so the first experience is your devotional life. The second is small groups is that we have a discussion guide that's produced each week that is designed for you to experience clarity in your community group. And so hopefully your group has opted into that. If not, you can pick it up at any point. And then, and then it's also our sermon series. So you've got in your clarity book and on the website, every sermon passage for the whole year of 2020, if you ever want to read that or process that before you come on Sunday so that you can um, be prepared. And so Clarity, we're 10 weeks in to Clarity. How's it going? Are you enjoying this? I hope that it, it's working for you. It's uh, been a really good thing for me. We're in our second Clarity teaching season. It's the season of Epiphany. And we're actually almost through with it. We're about to begin Lent. But the season of Epiphany is designed to help us either be reminded of or have revelation of the life and ministry of Jesus. That word epiphany, it means um, like an aha moment or revelation. So we're selecting passages out of the Gospel of Luke that are designed to help us see who Jesus really is. And we'll have another one today. Let's go to our passage, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. And it may be a familiar passage for many of you. Let's dig in. Look at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So it starts in the passage by saying as Jesus and his disciples we're on their way. And as a good Bible study student, at that point, you stop and you ask the question, on their way to where? Where 
is Jesus and his disciples, where is he, he going here? Well, look above and you scroll back up. And if you'll go all the way to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it tells you. It says there that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus and his men are on the way to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 in that gospel is like a, a door hinge chapter. It's the door that opens the readers up to the final weeks of Christ's life. And the rest of the gospel is set there, where it focuses on Christ's death and his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And that all happened where? In Jerusalem. So Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus set his face. He, he decided resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, Jesus predicts his death twice. And in Luke chapter 9, if you remember last week, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he had a discussion with resurrected Moses and reappearing Elijah. Do you remember what they talked about? Jesus going to Jerusalem. So Luke 9 has been setting up for this moment. And here it says, Jesus was on his way with his disciples. He was on his way to Jerusalem where the culminating events of his life would occur. But before he arrived there, he stopped. He stopped at the home of Mary and Martha. He stopped in a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And he stopped there to rest and to refresh and to be hosted by some dear friends, Mary and Martha. Now, when you add Lazarus in, he's the brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're a family from the village of Bethany that's featured in the Gospels three different times. Two of those times, they're hosting Jesus in their home. The other time is when Jesus came to them in Bethany to attend a funeral. John chapter 11. It's actually the funeral of Lazarus. The brother had passed away. And if you remember that story, Jesus turned that funeral into a party. And he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. The scriptures tell us that Jesus loved this family and that they were very close. So I think we can assume that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He and his companions are weary. They are in need of refreshment. They've been ministering. And the days ahead of them that were about to occur in Jerusalem were weighing heavy on Christ's heart. So Mary and Martha host them for a dinner to give them rest and refreshment. Now, this story describes the scene that unfolded around that meal. Let's dig in a little bit. Look at Martha. After inviting Jesus to come into her home, she began hustling around, making dinner. Now, the passage doesn't tell us the number of guests. So this could have been a small dinner party, just Jesus and the family. Or his traveling companions, the disciples, could have stayed. Maybe they went on into Jerusalem to make preparations, or maybe they stayed. So she either had a handful of people or a, over 15 people to feed. And so Martha would have been preparing the meal. She would have been busy, and it kept her isolated from her guest. The passage actually describes her, look at verse 40, as being distracted. Now, does that, under, that sound understandable? How many of you have ever had people in your home? I'm assuming everybody in here. And when you have people in your home, um, somebody's got to take care of business, right? So while the guests mingle, someone's got to be behind the scenes, preparing the meal or warming it up. 
uh, pouring the drinks, putting out extra chairs, lighting the candles, stoking the fire. After all, if the, if the oven remains empty, so will the bread basket, right? And so Martha was busy serving. And what was Mary doing? Well, the scripture says that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words and soaking them in. Mary was caught up in the moment. The teacher was there. The rabbi, the miracle worker. And we don't get the gist of what he was saying, but I bet whatever it was, it was good. And the teacher was speaking. So she assumed the posture of a disciple, of a learner. Mary was at his feet listening. She was focused on connecting with her guests. So focused that she forgot to offer her sister any assistance. Now, how do you think that would go over with your sibling? It didn't go over well. But this is the consistent way that the gospels present Mary of Bethany. She's featured in three stories in the scriptures and guess where she is found in all three stories? At the feet of Jesus. Each time within the story, Mary eventually got to this posture. She always ended up at his feet. Mary had a contemplative heart. She was one who would give the Lord her whole attention and focus. She exhibited wholehearted devotion. I love this quote from Mary Oliver. Pat Anderson shared it in our services just a few weeks ago. That attention is the beginning of devotion. And doesn't that describe Mary of Bethany in our passage today? That she had her eyes fixed on Jesus. Her heart was focused on him and him alone. And she was blocking out all other distractions. So the passage describes two different postures towards Jesus. Martha was serving the Lord. Mary was sitting with the Lord. Martha was focused on the preparations. Mary was focused on the person. Martha was laboring. Mary was listening. One was making the meal. The other was making a connection. Mary was focused on being, and Martha was focused on doing. And this all seemed normal and not a big deal until Martha made it a big deal. She went to Jesus and asked him to weigh in on the matter that was bothering her heart. Look at the second part of verse 40. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Martha comes out of the kitchen and she says, Jesus, I'm in here sweating it out while Mary is just chilling on the sofa. Can't you send her in here to help me? Jesus, can't you see the injustice here? Uh, doesn't it bother you that she's not making a contribution? I'm in there warming up the soup and she's got her feet propped up by the fire. And Martha felt certain that Mary's choice was out of bounds. 
And she was surprised. She was actually caught off guard that Jesus would actually allow such a thing. And she actually told the Lord what to do. Lord, correct my misguided sister. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Where you're absolutely certain that another believer, maybe even one in your family, maybe your sibling or your spouse, is out of bounds. You're certain of it. And you pray the Lord's wrath down on them. Lord, correct them. And then she tells him what to do. She gives the Lord, I don't know if it's advice as much as it is a command. Lord, tell her to help me. Hey, just a tip. If you ever find yourself in the position of correcting the Lord and telling him what to do, you might check your heart. So she asked Jesus to weigh in on the matter, this injustice, so he did. And he said, Martha, Martha, repeating her name for emphasis. It would be like if your parent or your grandparent used your full name. Isn't that when you knew you were in trouble? If my mom said, Sam, I'm good. If she said, Samuel Thomas, it's like, here it comes. Martha, Martha, you're so stressed out. I know you've got a lot going on here, but not all of these things are necessary. Just keep it simple. Don't make a fuss and don't miss the main event here. And Jesus gave her a three-tiered perspective. And this is found only in the NIV. If you're using the ESV version of the Bible or the NAS, it doesn't translate it this way. But I like what the NIV did here because it preaches better. (laughs) Jesus gave her a three-tiered perspective. You're worried about many things. But they're not all necessary. Few things are needed, but then one thing is the most important. It was a great perspective from Martha's meltdown. Martha, I know that you need to take care of things, but you've elevated some things, many things, to a level of importance that aren't necessary. Have you ever been there when you had a dinner party where you shifted into being an entertainer instead of being a person offering hospitality? And you took the things that you wanted to do and made them things you had to do and it distracted you. Martha, you've got many things here. They're not all necessary and you're being distracted. He says, simplify to the few things. There are some things that are needed. Anybody ever been to a dinner party without food? It's not a great dinner party. Jesus was hungry. He was on his journey. He needed refreshment and rest. So there were a few things that were necessary. And Jesus said, don't complicate it. Simplify, Martha, to what is needed and necessary. But then he said, don't miss the main thing. The Lord's in your house, Martha. You need to come out of the kitchen. You you need to calm your heart and enjoy time with the guest of honor. I want to stop right here. And I want to jump off theme because I I think that this this three-tiered perspective is not only good for for Martha and Mary and their situation and their dinner party, but for those of us who struggle with 
worrying about many things because our calendar is full and we feel like that um, our inbox is always overflowing and we can never get to our outbox. I think that this is good perspective. See, the many things could be simplified by asking, what are the few things that are necessary? And sometimes we need to filter everything that's coming into our lives and get down to what's necessary and then never miss the one thing. So I want to give you an assignment. As a family, whatever that looks like for you, um, maybe you and your roommates, or maybe you're an empty nester couple, or maybe you've got young children or, or teenagers. Sit down with this diagram, and I want you to list out all the many things. So that's everything that's coming your way. All right? Every opportunity. And then write down, what are the few things? At the end of the week, if we only had a limited amount of time, what are the few things that are necessary? So the top one, it's whatever comes your way. The middle one is what is necessary. And then the last one is don't lose your soul in the hectic pace. Hey, ball parent families, it's okay to tell your coach, no, he ain't Jesus. Hey, ballet and gymnastics families, skip a lesson you've already paid for. It's okay. They're probably not going to the Olympics anyway. <laughs> hey, career-focused people, don't skip work. You'll get fired. <laughs> but maybe draw a boundary in how you bring it home. I was thinking about this the other day. I can remember when I first started at Fellowship and we didn't have cell phones and we had a home phone and I would get a call at night. Do you know what people said to me when they would call me at home at night? They'd say, hey, Sam. And what would they say first? I'm sorry. Everybody expects all of us to be on call all the time now, don't they? And I just want you to know that it's not necessary. You can draw healthy boundaries. Don't let the many things distract you from the few things that are most necessary. And definitely don't let it steal your soul for the one thing. That was free. Let's go back to the passage. Well, instead of rebuking Mary, as Martha had commanded, he actually applauded her choice. She had pursued the one thing needed. When pushed to make a value statement about the situation, he elevated Mary's posture of devotion over Martha's distraction from the preparation. And, and really, he didn't correct Martha's actions. He corrected her attitude. Jesus wasn't being ungrateful for the meal that he was about to receive, but he recognized that it had distracted Martha she had become worried. She had become upset. And he encouraged her just to enjoy his presence like her sister was doing. Mary had chosen what is what? Better. This is a value statement. It's an appraisal of worth. It's a position statement on priorities. Jesus values our devotion more than our deeds. 
He desires our nearness and our intimacy more than he wants our busyness. He cares more about who we are than what we do for him. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with serving, but it can't come at the expense of our devotional heart. Serving God cannot replace intimacy with God. And this story captures that point perfectly. Jesus said that Mary chose what is better. He's not devaluing serving. He's elevating devotion and intimacy. He's not teaching us to abandon deeds and only pursue intimacy. He just wants us to get them in the right order. Or as we say around fellowship, being comes before doing. Our deeds should be preceded by, even exceeded by our devotional heart. We serve the Lord out of the overflow of what he pours in to our cup. Jesus values our devotion more than our deeds. Now, why is this true? Well, if you've been around the faith long enough, then you've probably come to a point where your busyness exceeded your devotional life where you became a flurry of activity for the Lord, a full calendar, lots of action, appointments, responsibility, plenty of service offered to the Lord, but it squeezed your devotional time. It dried up your intimacy. And soon you were a mile wide and only an inch deep. The frenzy of activity for the Lord was hindering your relationship with the Lord. And like Martha, your service actually became a distraction. But know this, the story is not about slamming service to the Lord. This might help. It's not Mary versus Martha. The story is aimed at teaching the necessity of devotion, not the evil of deeds. He's not pitting these two sisters against one another. And to be honest, I've taught this story that way and I've apologized for being a Martha, but I don't think that's what the Lord is getting at. These are not either or characters. The practices of both Mary and Martha are commanded and commended by the Lord in the scriptures. This story is just teaching us about the value and priority of our devotion to the Lord. Simply stated, Jesus values our devotion more than our deeds. When it's all said and done, connecting with the Lord is of greater value than doing things for him. Listening to Christ precedes living for Christ. Service is an outflow or a product or a fruit of our devotional life. So how do we respond to the passage? Well, this is the point in the sermon where traditionally I'm supposed to ask you, which of these two characters better represents you? And so I'll do that. Which are you, Mary or Martha? Turn to someone that you came with today and choose one. This is the point where people who do things for Jesus are to feel shame. (laughs) While people who have quiet times feel good. I think it's a horrible question. And I don't think it's what the passage is asking. I do think that all of us have a leaning. You're either a more contemplative person who reflects the heart of Mary, that Psalm 46, 10, when you hear be still and know that I'm God, you're like, yes, just give me a table at Red Kite Coffee 
my clarity devotional book, and an hour. Or you lean towards Martha and you're like, I don't want to be still and know that he's God. I want to be busy and let everyone know he's God. And you want to get active and serve others for the glory of God. And I think often we take a passage like this and we ask, who are you more like? And I want to just say this. You need to be both. I think the passage is challenging us to get them in the right order, not to push one out at the expense of the other. What kind of community would Springdale be if we had a handful of Jesus followers, that's you and that's me, who had the heart of Mary and the hands of Martha? Does that sound good? Isn't that the kind of person you want as a community group leader in your life or as your spouse? Isn't that what you want for your kids? The heart of Mary, the hands of Martha for the glory of God. Hey, I want to close with a little bit of a workshop and talk about how to cultivate both in our lives. Let's start with the heart of Mary. Here's some practical suggestions if you struggle being a contemplative person. First, block the time. You've got an opportunity to meet with the creator of the universe. Block the time and then protect it. Prioritize it. Make it a sacred time set apart for the Lord each day. Two, remove distractions. There's a little thing called airplane mode on your phone that you can take it and turn it off. I promise you, Everything that's going to come to your phone in the time you spend with the Lord, whether you're 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, can wait. Well, what if someone dies? They're still going to be dead in an hour. (laughs) They will be, Lutcher. I know you're contemplating that. They will be. Block it out. Remove distractions. Find a place of solitude of quiet where you can't be interrupted and then turn off your own interruptions. I keep a little list. I don't know if you're like this, but things pop into my head all day long because I love lists and I love to get things done. I just keep a little list, handwritten list beside me and I just write those down and it gives my heart peace to return back to my focus. And then third, engage the disciplines. So you block the time, you remove distractions, then you engage the disciplines. Prayer, Spending time in God's word, confession, listening to the Lord, journaling, and then don't turn it off. Try to maintain that connection with the Lord all day long. Walk in the spirit. Live and surrender to him. Abide in Christ. Maybe those things can help you cultivate a heart of Mary. How about the hands of Martha? Uh, First, discover your passion. I think a great question for you to ask if you're looking for a place to serve is what am I passionate about? Um, Here's a good way to discover that. What makes you angry that no one's doing anything about it? Or what gets you out of bed to go do that? Um, There are certain things that you want to hit the snooze button five times because you're not motivated to go do them. And then there are certain things you wake up before your alarm goes off that speaks to your passion. You may be passionate about a task like prayer 
or like worship or like um, teaching, or you may be passionate about a people group. I really am passionate about students or children or women or men or young couples or, or seniors. What's your passion? Secondly, uh, what are you good at? Deploy your gifts. How has God uniquely designed you to make a contribution uh, to the church? What are you good at? What are your gifts? What are your skills? And then thirdly, match those with an opportunity or a need. If you can find an intersection of your passion, your skills or gifting, and a need, that is your place to serve. But I would give it an asterisk. If you can't find something that perfectly meets your passion or perfectly meets your skills, just go meet a need. We need you. You're never excused from deploying your hands of Martha. And then lastly, sign up and show up. We need the full body of Christ deployed within the ministry of fellowship and the ministries of Northwest Arkansas to bring glory to Jesus. So how's your heart of Mary? And how are you doing on the hands of Martha? At fellowship, our mission statement says, we exist to produce and release what? That's what a spiritual leader is. It's a maturing disciple, someone who abides with Jesus, who goes to work, right? And I think that's what Springdale needs most. Hey, would you pray with me? Well, Lord, I, I thank you for these two women who always challenged me in my faith. I see two faithful women who loved you and Lord, who pursued you just in different ways. Lord, would that show up in our lives? For those of us who lean towards Mary, Lord, help us to serve you faithfully. For those of us who lean towards Martha, help us to have a devotional heart. Oh Lord, we wanna love you in a way that brings the most glory to your name. So I pray over this group that represents Springdale. And I pray that you would deploy from our congregation people who have a heart of Mary and the hands of Martha. And Lord, I pray for people in our city to feel that and experience your love through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.